So have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and the Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. Well, welcome to Bible School. I'm Reverend Kojo. I'm so glad you decided to join us today. Um, we're starting off head first in Genesis six. We're finally making headway. We are out of Adam and Eve and we're starting to move towards some stories that are a familiar, but B I'm willing to bet you've never gone this deep or dug this deep on. And so let's, we're going to dig deep and pull out what God has said. And we're just going to get excited about what he said in his word. Okay. So we're starting in verse uh, one and now it came to pass Uh, When men began to multiply on the face of the earth and the daughters were born to them, verse two, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. Yeah. And they took wives for themselves of all them whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not thrive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were old men of renown. So just those four verses are jam-packed with history, mystery, and just all types of chaos and, and craziness that if I would have read this in my in in my what I call my tens, so like eight, nine, ten years old, or I had been sitting in Sunday school as I did every Sunday, these are not mysteries that were, were commonplace to us. Now we know that we're in the chapter that begins to talk about Noah, and in the next few chapters we're talking about the ark and how he, you know, he built the ark and it came two by two. You know, last last time we talked about Methuselah who was the grandfather of Noah and how Methuselah was the oldest man to ever live on earth. But yet he died before his father because his father was taken by God because he had such favor with the Lord. And so we see all of this stuff, like just, just bubbling over with all of these great, great riches and these gems of wisdom and knowledge. And then we get to chapter six and, and, and it gets a little mystical uh, and it gets a little um, unbelievable, but here is the cool thing. It points a lot of Greek, Egyptian, uh, Chinese, all these different schools of mythology thought begin to point back to the Bible. And usually when we hear about these things as Christians, we were like, no, 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 no. I don't believe that. I don't, we can be that. You can miss me with that. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Bible. But here, some of these ideas that they wrote about in these, this mythology, um, we get a glimpse of it in the Bible. Um, (laughs) as we do in revelation and as we do in Daniel as well, but I always think it's amazing how everything points back to this beautiful love story we call the Bible. And it doesn't matter how hard you try to disprove this book. This book is grounded in such a foundation that it is, it is not disprovable. 
uh, it is provable. <laughs> we can we can dig. We can almost go and choose any any idea, any ideology, and it's gonna in some way, form, or fashion. If you dig hard enough, it's gonna point back to the gospel. So we were talking about these men who who were multiplying on the face of the earth because what did God tell them to do when He made men? He said, "Go and multiply, be fruitful and multiply." Go and make families, you know, don't leave my earth barren, create people like you go and do that thing. So they were done that. This was, this was not him going back and recreating a system. This was not a revisitation of verse one and two. I mean, chapters one and two, this is a continuation and a reminder that men were multiplying on the face of the earth. Okay. And, uh, daughters were born to them. And it's important to point that daughters are born to them because so often we don't see them mention daughters in scripture. Every now and then they talk, they talk about a girl, but usually they talk about the boy because they're happy about having a boy because the name is going to go on with the boy. But there, there is relevance in both the man and the woman. And I think that we need to continue to draw that out of scripture in it and in it either each other's place. Um, it's, it's important that we see these things, cherish these things, walk with these things and get excited about these things. Okay. Why? Because they're relevant. Okay. Um, just like man was created first and then he came from the rib of woman. It was important that God denoted how he made man, but it was also important how he denoted how he made woman. And there were two different processes. It didn't make neither, um, more important or less important. Both of them had importance and both of them served their role. So here it, he notes that there were daughters born to them. Why? Because the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all of them whom they chose. Okay, cool. They saw some pretty women and they made them their wives. Why does that, why does that relevant? And why did he have to mention that in scripture? Like, why, why are you spending so much time on this? He saw the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives to themselves. Now, there are a few different schools of thought on what this verse means and what this means. And we could probably teach an entire Bible study on just verse two. Don't want to spend that much time on it, but I do want to, I do want to introduce to you the two schools of thought. And I'm then after I introduce them to you, I want you to form your own idea. And then I'll tell you what I think. So the sons of God saw the daughters of men and they were beautiful and they took wives themselves. Now, one school of thought says that, um, these are just semantics of words, the sons of, um, the sons of God and the daughters of men, it's just two different groups. So you've got one group that is unholy, one group that is, is, uh, unho- that is holy and they're cross mingling and then they had children. Well, that's, that's all wonderful. Okay. You can have that school of thought. Then there's this another school of thought that says that, um, the sons of God were angelic beings and, the daughters of men were human women. And I prescribe to that school of thought, and I'm going to tell you why I prescribe to that school of thought. Because in verse 4, they say they were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children uh, to them. Those were mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Okay. So they talk about... They talk about these giants. Now, let's just let's just say, now y'all know I'm 4'11. I'm very short. Most of my family is normal height. If let's God and God forbid, let's say I married an unbeliever. We had a kid. If I married an unbeliever, uh, let's say they were atheists, which this is not gonna happen. They were atheists. I'm sold out for Christ. If we have a child, 
we might have a tall child. Like they might have some genes and I've got some tall genes in my family down, down the line. They might come out tall, but this kid is not going to come out 15 feet tall. Then, you know, it's not going to be a giant. Um, they're, they're not going to have an oversized head. Like you're not going to, that's not going to happen. Um, that is not the normal penalty for, for holy marrying unholy. Um, no, that, that, it doesn't happen. Um, if, if let's say that somebody married, you know, somebody married, they cross married. If a black man marries a white woman, the baby is not going to come out looking like, <laughs> like this giant, huge something. Now you might get a LeBron James uh, who is not mixed, or you might get a Steph Curry, um, and you might get somebody who's taller, but you're not going to get a giant that does not fit into the mold of human uh, so much so that they have to denote that they're a giant, okay? Because that it doesn't work that way. When you have two humans, two humans make a, a typical size human. Now that human could be four eleven, that human could be seven feet, but they're still a human. When we start talking about giants, we're talking about like astronomically huge beings. Um, you know, the skeletons that they find in these things, their heads are about the size of us. Like <laughs> it's like like some dinosaur type shaped huge beings like huge like not shaped but like sized tall human like beings and so when we start thinking about these things the the sons of god they made a distinction in scripture for a reason the sons of god now if we go back to the beginning the sons of god were present okay the sons of god were present now we remember that we didn't humans didn't come about on the sixth day the day of humanity six uh, we didn't come about to the sixth day. So how in the world in the beginning would we be present and we hadn't been created yet? OK, so it is my belief that uh, these were angelic beings having relations and marrying um, with with beautiful human women. OK, OK, well, that's 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 one thing, part A or whatever. Now. We can we can chunk off of that, look at that, you know, all of that good stuff now. But let's look at, at something else. Are these angelic beings from heaven? Or are these the angelic beings that were thrown down uh, to Tardis? Now, if you don't, you're not familiar with what Tardis is, when God threw Satan and his buddies out of heaven, he, didn't throw, he threw them into the abyss. He threw them to Tardis. Now, Tardis, they say, is below Hades. Now, Hades is below the earth. So it's like some seventh layer of hell if, if I wanted to bring it to uh, relevant or something that you could relate to based off of the literature that we read in, in modern academia. So we, as we continue to look at this thing, it gets a, it gets a little darker and deeper. And, and I can't answer that question for you. I wish I could say uh, definitively, these are the angelic beings or these are the supernatural beings that were having relations with the human women. I don't know which group it was. I would believe that it was uh, demonic, and here is here is why I think it's demonic. Do you remember when we talked about the the cherubim that were guarding the way to the tree of life from Satan? Right. I mean, well, they were guarding the way of tree of life, and I said I believe it was because of they had to have they had to guard it from Satan. Right. Well, uh, you remember we talked. We I know we probably haven't talked about it yet, but there's this ideology of a kinsman kinsman redeemer. We get to Ruth and when we get to Revelation, we're going to talk about this and very much so when we get to Jesus. The idea of a kinsman redeemer means that somebody, it has to redeem you, has to come from your line, okay? 
kinsman, the redeemer doesn't work if they don't come from your line. So if some demonic forces or some angelic beings get into your bloodline, there is you're no longer able to be able to produce. You're no longer able to be able to uh, have a kinsman to redeem you because the line is no longer pure. Now that's going to be relevant when we get down to Noah in just a couple of verses. Okay. But so we, we can look at that, at that idea. And we could say, this was a ploy of Satan yet again. And already <laughs> to be able to distort the way of the, uh, distort the way to the tree of life, which comes much later. But, Here's what we know about God. God cannot be outwitted. God is not going to be outthought. He is not going to be put in a, in a position where he's going to get, he's going to do things or allow things to outsmart him because he is the great I am. Nobody's above him. Nobody's before him. Nobody's smarter than him. And so he handled the situation and we'll see how he handles the situation here in the foundations of the world. So, you know, we talk about verse three, you know, we, we handled that. So that's that first issue. Verse three, he says, and the Lord said, my spirit shall not thrive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. So a lot of people believe that this means that God, you know, he's upset. And we, we see this as this, this precursor to, you know, this, this post flood, this precursor to the, to the flood and then post flood world. Um, I, we could see that because most people don't live more than 120 years now. You know, most people really cap <laughs> at 100 years and you have a few people who go a little bit further. But I'm willing to bet that this 120 years is the 120 years from here until Noah boards the ship and the flood happens. Why? Because they say there's an, uh, there's an overlap from the time that Noah begins to build the ark to the day that Methuselah dies. Now, you remember last time we talked about the day that the year that Methuselah dies is the year that the flood comes. Remember, Methuselah staying means that when when he dies, it shall come. And his father was Enoch. You remember Enoch found favor in the eyes of God. Please follow me. Because Enoch found favor in the eyes of God when upon the birth of Methuselah, he received prophecy so much so that he named Methuselah, basically, when it happened, when it will happen when he is dead. And so then the flood comes the year that Methuselah dies, but prophecy is fulfilled. So, <laughs> so when we look, when we look at this, God, I, we could say that God is upset. He's saying, you're not going to live more than 120 years. But we see people live, there are a few people who live beyond there. So I'm willing to say that that 120 years is the period of building on this ark. And he's preparing him to build this gigantic boat that is actually, and we're going to talk about it, is actually still on the earth to this day at Mount Ararat. And we may not talk about it today. We may or not. We'll, we'll see how scripture takes us. But we talked about the giants. And now there were giants on the earth. Verse four, there were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of those men, they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. So <laughs> a lot of times, and, and, and I'm guilty, and a lot of people are guilty too, especially a lot of us Christians, when we start thinking about um, some of the things that are relevant when we start talking about um, Greek mythology, Egyptian mythology, Asian mythology, um, Aztec mythology, and they, when they start thinking and talking about all of these other 
uh, beings and these demigods and these little G gods that existed on the earth that were big, bad and the other. We thought that these were like these this making they were making it up in in, in their minds and all of these experiences. But actually, those were mighty men who were of old men of renown would lead us to suggest that not all of the things that they held in as mythology and in their religious way are uh, the stories that they told may not have been myths, but could have been fact. And why, why do I say that? Because a lot of some a good deal of their mythology parallels with many of the stories we hear told in the Bible. It's just that their their uh their anti their antag yeah, their protagonists and the antagonists are different people than different names than the people who we name in the Bible, okay? And so if that is true and we believe that to be true, we can believe that some of the mythology and the myths may have be may be talking about some of these children that came from angelic creatures and women, beautiful women, getting together and having babies. Um, <clears throat> I heard a study say that, you know, that the idea of the demigods, uh, that's where these come from. And, and these beings that were half, you know, they talk about the demigods, they be half human and half uh, God. Well, maybe they were half God and half supernatural we can get that from this. And, and they said they, and they came from, and, and I mean, it is, it's, it's, it's kind of spooky, but it aligns. Now I don't want you to go and take this and say that this is the gospel truth. I'm telling you what I've, I've read deduced. I've gone and, and sat up under some, some very trusted, um, commentators and I've prayed and, and I've deduced what I believe and what I think. Now this is, this is, this is very loose theology, but we can deduce such an idea from, from these scriptures. We're moving on. Verse five. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Okay, so verse five, and then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of his thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so that, you know, I, you know, this is embarrassing y'all, but this is, this is real. Um, we know stuff is wrong and yet we think about it all the time. We know that we shouldn't do things and yet we desire to do them all the time. Um, because we came from a corrupt way. Um, we talked about, what was it in Genesis three or four? Genesis three, I think. And we talked about the fall of man and how the knowledge of good and evil happened and, and the evil came and it kind of overtook our, our thinking and our way and the way we behave and the things that we do. And so we became almost slaves to these ideologies and we began to desire these things that were unknown because we were told not to do them. And from the very beginning, when you told us not to do things, we wanted to do the things that we were told not to do, which is a problem. <laughs> it's a it's a real problem, and while we're like that, not a I, it's it comes from that tree, um, and actually I think it goes beyond that tree. I think it goes back to free will. We just have this this desire to do what we're not supposed to do, and it's sad. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm sure you're sitting at home, and it's it's there are some things that you're not supposed to do that you want to do. It may not be for you. It may not be getting drunk for you. It might be fornication. It may not be fornication for you. It may be uh, 
It might be another thing. It, it may be wanting to hurt somebody because they've angered you. You know, whatever it is for you, we all have these issues. You know, for some people, it's envy. We're told not to envy, but at some point, we're jealous and we're asking God, how come they're succeeding and I'm not succeeding? And we've just engaged in envy, and it's one of the seven deadly sins. And so we put ourselves in these situations and we don't even realize it because it's a part of who we are and who we've been and how we've been created to exist. And it's kind of scary, right? <laughs> So verse six, and the Lord was sorry. Uh, the King James says, and the Lord repented that he made man on the earth. Okay. Well, that's sad, right? He repent, And this is not a repented like, oh, I made a mistake. This is a, this is, this is just a word to show how grieved he was at how we were carrying ourselves. This is a word just to show how upset, uh, this is this is this is just to show just how frustrated and how disgusting and how upset he like he was just not happy like he was just like are you are you you've got to be kidding me I have given from the beginning I have given you everything I have shown you redemption I threw you out trying to punish you and I'm trying to show this and I've given you this I've given you chances and you are still acting a donkey why and so he 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 says okay I'll show you he said. Verse 7, he says, so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and the birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, verse 8 is an awesome, awesome uh, verse because this is the very first time we see the mention of grace in the entire Bible. Now, granted, it was pretty early on, like it's Genesis 6, but I, I think it is important to note that we see grace. Why is this important? Okay, people refer to the age that we live in currently, like 2017 and, and these 2,000 years prior to this, as the age of grace. But the age of grace actually was from the beginning. Now, the grace that is afforded to us abounds much more flu, like fluous, like it is, it, it, it comes much more easier. We were granted it, we're granted it so much better. We get so much more of it. But grace abounds from like it abounds today. But grace was present. It is it is part of the very character of who we who God is, okay? And 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 I think when people start talking, we talk about God has not changed. He has not changed. Like people want to say the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament is a different God because he got all this grace and mercy floating around in the New Testament, and it seems like he's just strict and evil in the, in the Old Testament. No, that's not what it is. What was concealed about God is revealed in the New Testament, okay? And so, but we see grace is yet present. Grace and mercy yet exist in uh, here. It, it may not be as flowing. It may not be. He, he may not be as liberal with it, but it yet persists. And who he is at the heart of who God is has not changed from the foundations of the earth. And I'm willing to say that be from before the foundations of the earth, the person of God has has remained the very same. Okay. Um, and so the Lord said, you know, he said, I, ha I will destroy the man who I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and the birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But I but then but then y'all check this out. God is angry with us like he is disgusted with the things that we do. We are despicable in his sight. And then he looks and he sees Noah. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> Flawed. Noah's a drunk. We're going to find out Noah's a drunk later. 
flawed, jacked up, messed up. But Noah finds grace. How did Noah, the drunk, how does the drunk find grace in the presence of God? Like, how does he find grace in the eyes of God? Like, I'm sure there were more people who seemed to be more righteous and the key word seemed. Um, but Noah finds grace. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Keep going. Keep going. Um, verse 9. And then it says, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was ju a just man, perfect in his generations. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Noah walked with God. Okay. And I, I just, we can just stop there at verse nine. Like it's, it's power packed with all, all kind of stuff. Verse nine, perfect in his generations carries the idea that he was clean in his strain and genealogies. Now, you remember we talked about in the very beginning, uh, but with verses one through four about how the strain could have been corrupted. And that I believe that there were angels sleeping with women and with angels sleeping with women, it kind of, you know, it was safe possible. It could have possibly been Satan's way of trying to corrupt the way to the tree of life. And, but, and so in, in one way we can see that his generations were perfect because we could say that it was not corrupted. Now let's think about who Noah was like, Noah, <laughs> Noah came from a line of preachers. Okay. Like he came from a line of, like his, his great granddaddy was Enoch. Enoch was so holy and so righteous. Like he walked with God that God did not let this man die. He promised all men that they would die. They would meet a sinner's fate. They would like no good was going to befall these people. And he says, he, he, he just takes Enoch with him. He said, okay, yeah, but I like you. So I'm going to make an exception to my rule because I like you so much. And he just takes Enoch. Like Enoch after 200 years, whoop, <laughs> he, he takes him and he, he's gone. We, you know, we, we can assume that he was raptured like we're going to talk about in Revelation. But whatever God does, like, and I guess that would be raptured. Enoch is gone. <laughs> Enoch does not face death the way that we, <laughs> we're going to face, that they face death and, and the way that we think about death and the, all of this. No, none of that happens. Like Enoch is gone. <laughs> Rapture. <laughs> Twinkle of an eye. Gone. Okay. Um, and then, but Enoch has Methuselah. <laughs> Methuselah is, is, he is like the standing reminder of prophecy. And then as the standing reminder of prophecy, Methuselah lives the longest. Now y'all, I think I said this, but I want to remind you again, Methuselah means that after he dies, it will happen. So he has this prophecy. Methuselah lives like 960 years, give or take some. And, and in his, his living 960 years, He's the longest man to ever live on the earth. In him being the longest man to live on the earth at the date of his birth was was the the promise or the prophecy that God was already displeased with man. Okay, so I think a lot of us like to believe that there was this knee jerk reaction that God was making when he decided that he was going to take men from the earth, that he was going to wipe us out. Well, not quite. And, and I say not quite because... If, if it was a knee-jerk reaction, the way that God operates, he would say, I'm going to wipe out the earth and wipe out the earth as soon as the ark was built, if he wanted to build an ark. He could have just wiped out the earth and that was it. But that didn't happen. That didn't happen at all. Matter of fact, what we see happen is 
<laughs> he gives them 960 years to find redemption. And then we're going to see in a little bit after he calls Noah, Noah is going to follow the line of all of these preachers that have come before him. And he's going to go and he's going to preach to these people and say, hey, there's going to become a flood. You want to get on my boat because God will save you. And out of all of the people on the earth that have been on the earth thus far, nobody gets on the boat. Y'all think about that. Now we talked about models and how a lot of the, a lot of the people in the Bible are, especially the old Testament are concealed versions of Jesus Christ. Okay. They're not Christ, but they're just like similar models of how God likes to operate. Like there was nothing in this Bible that was put there on accident. He uses these stories to get you and to prime you and prepare you for the reality that he is going to redeem you a certain way. And so he uses all types of stories just to show you how God operates. And so he, he preaches this good word. He offers redemption and nobody talks about it. Now I know y'all were not privy to my study in revelation and you're not sitting there when I go and teach it. But when we talked about Laodicea, Laodicea was a church that he said that he was spit out of his mouth. And, and when we get to Revelation, I'm sure we'll have a field day with talking about that. When we get to Laodicea, at the end, there's this appeal that a lot of people use at the end of their church services. But at the end of his, his, his letter to the church of Laodicea, he says, I stand at the door and knock. And then he says, if any man would hear my voice, come unto me. He says he, he promises them that they'd be saved. Okay, cool. But he, ha- he says, if any man, as if he has no faith, that men would turn their hearts to him. And, but he, he allows them to. Now look at Noah. Noah is preaching the word. Look, if the flood is coming, I'm building this boat. You want to get on the boat? Come and God will not destroy you. And nobody wants to hear it. What does that sound like today? In the world today, a lot of folks have a problem with you teaching the complete word of God because it infringes upon their power to live wickedly. See, when I teach you the whole word of God, if I teach you all of his truth, you can't continue to live the way you want to live unless you reject it. And if you rejected you and you say that what I'm saying is false or it is, 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 is far fetched, you can continue to live crazy like you want to until it's too late, which happens for a lot of folks in Revelation. And it's just amazing how the word <laughs> starts tying itself into itself over and over and over and over again. And if you have truly read the word, when by the time you get to revelation, you, you're not caught by surprise at what God would say. You say, well, that sounds about like what he would do. Now, if you dive right into revelation and you are not familiar with the totality of the word, yes, you are shocked and amazed at what happens in Revelation. And you're like, how in the world? Because this God that I serve be, be so evil. And he's not being evil. He has prepared these people. He has told these people, I'm going to do these things. But if you'll get right, I'll keep you. I'll preserve you. I'll, I'll do things for you. But you've got to do what I say do. You've got to show me that you trust me. You've got to, hey, you've got to take some steps of crazy faith. And so Noah has presented these things to him, to these people, and nobody accepts it. Probably the only reason his kids come aboard because they're his kids. (sighs) Which is, is crazy. It's crazy. Which makes me wonder, how many people would truly come to Christ if he walked the earth today? 
real life questions. Who would walk the door? Who? Wow. Who who would do it? Okay. Then verse 10, Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The the earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. Wouldn't do right. Didn't want to do right. Wouldn't act right. Now, actually, I need to go back because I left something out that was really important. You remember I said Noah found grace with, with God in the eyes of God? And in verse 9, the genealogy of Noah, Noah was a just man, perfect in all his generations. Noah walked with God. Now, in our own personal walk, in our own personal dealings, and the way that we handle life and the way that we live and all of this, this good, 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 good stuff, I think it's, it's A, important for us to notice that both Noah and his granddaddy walked with God. So many of us pray, Lord, walk with me today. Lord, come with me, Lord. Lord, do this with me. Lord, uh, 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 accompany me. These men didn't say, it didn't say God walked with them. It didn't say that they, um, they asked God to, 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 to accompany them. These men asked God, just imagine for a second, if when we prayed, we prayed, Lord, let me walk with you. Wherever you go today, I'm going to go with you. Wherever you, whatever you do today, I'm going to do what you do. Lord, uh, if, 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 I, if I plan on doing something today that is out of your will, how about you, 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 you reroute me and we go where you want to go and we do what you want to do. I'm, I'm an open vessel to whatever you need to be done today. And, 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 and I think that that is the difference in why they were righteous. Their hearts were turned toward God. I'm willing to, I don't know a lot about Enoch, but we know enough about Noah. These guys were not great. Like they were not perfect. Like they, their, their perfection didn't come in their own right. It came in the state of their hearts. Their hearts sought after a perfect God. And because their hearts sought after a perfect God, they found favor and grace and now mercy with the God that we love. And and in that place, that's that's something that says a lot for us. We screw up. Matter of fact, we screw up daily, and I'm I'm the first to admit that I screw up daily. You know, I want you, I wish I could say that I didn't, but I do on a regular basis. On a regular basis. I wish that I didn't, but I do. And I'm willing to bet that you do too. And if you don't, if you say that you don't, you're delusional. But here's the good news that God understands that we are not capable of being perfect. And even though that we are not capable of being perfect, it's not what he's asking. He's asking that our heart be after righteousness and he would make us righteous because our hearts had faith toward him. Okay. Which leads me to the hall of faith. Okay. Let's go to the hall of faith, which is Hebrews 11. Go ahead and turn there with me. Hebrews 11. Why, why, why is Hebrews 11 important? You know, I like, you know, Hebrews 11 is, is important, A, because it gives us a definition of what faith is. But not only does it give us a definition of what faith is, it presents us, um, it presents us with a record uh, of why these people 
had such great faith. And of course, you know, not only is Noah there, but his granddaddy Enoch was there. Okay. But we're, we're focused on Noah today. And verse seven is where we see Noah's claim to fame in the faith hall. And it says, by faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Okay. So we see, we got, we see seven that, you know, that he, <laughs> Hebrews 11, seven is like, it's going to show us some things, but since we're talking about Noah today and because we're going to dig into the ark and what exactly happened and, and their, their journey and all of that stuff here in the next few weeks or next few times, I want to make sure that we pull out these seven things about Noah's faith that we get in verse seven. Okay. So the first thing we get is, is the ground of faith. The ground of Noah's faith was the word. Okay. By faith. <laughs> The ground of his faith was the word. Now, number two, the sphere of his faith were the things not seen. So by faith, being divinely warned of the things not yet seen, moved by godly fear. So the ground of his faith was God's word. So he was divinely warned. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. So the word was God. He was divinely warned by the word, the word being God. Um, of things not yet seen, the sphere of his faith. So what, how, what, what realm, the sphere of his faith, where was his faith? The things not seen was where he had to place his faith. Now, number three was that he was moved with godly fear. The character of his faith was that he was moved with fear. He had a reverential uh, a reverential fear for God. And because he reverenced God in the manner in which he reverenced him, he he had faith on such a level that he trusted God to do whatever he told him to do. Verse number four, the evidence of his faith was that he built an ark. Okay. He moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Okay. The ev- that was the evidence of his faith. He built an ark. You know, we have to show faith without what is dead. Works is dead. So the evidence of his faith was built an ark. Now you remember the, the definition, y'all, this gets crazy. The definition of faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. So the evidence, <laughs> the evidence of his faith was that he built the ark. Okay. He built the ark. He had the faith. The faith was present because the evidence became made manifest. Number five, the issue of his faith was the saving of his, his house. What did he get out of this deal? Now, y'all remember, <laughs> I think it's Psalm 103, let us not forget the benefits of God. So <laughs> the, the issue of his faith, what was given unto him of his faith was that his, his household was spared. He and his household found sparing. Okay. Now we see um, the sixth, the witness of his faith. Now it's a different kind of witness. Normally the witnesses, you got to go out and tell people, but he became the witness. Okay. Uh, the world was condemned. The world was gone. So now they're starting over. So he is the witness of how sovereign, how good, how merciful, how mighty God has been. Because nobody else is going to be there but him and his kids. And so now as they begin to build new generations and all that stuff, you see see God do these these new things 
wonderful things, one great greatness, 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 greatness. Uh, number seven is the result of his faith, which caused him to be the heir of righteousness. Okay. Um, and he became the heir of righteousness, which was according to his faith. His faith was outlined in verse seven, and it produced seven things that drew that call. <laughs> like it's it's just like it's wonderful. Now, here's my challenge to you. What is the grounds of your faith? Are you standing on the word of God? What is the sphere of your faith? Are you trusting God for the things that you can't see? The things that you believe he's spoken, but it surely does not look like these things are going to manifest. What is the sphere of your faith? For me, this is real. There are things I'm believing that really look like they're not going to work out. They really don't look like they're panning out the way they're supposed to. They really look like I ought to give up. But where is the sphere of your faith? Is your sphere of your faith in the things that you cannot see? What is the character of your faith? Are you moved with reverence toward God? Do you trust? Do you revere God so much that you're going to trust whatever he says? What is the evidence of your faith? What are you doing to put with these things that you believe? What are the things that you're hoping for? How are you employing such faith, such hope, so that you can see some things? What is the evidence that you're pairing with this thing? What are you doing? What is the issue of your faith? You know, what are you what are you expecting God to do? You know, what are you expecting him to do as you put some your put your evidence out there? What are you expecting him to do? You know, and the witness of your faith, what are you going to do? Are you going to go tell people about it when he does it? Are you going to go and tell folks about how good he's been to you? How many doors he's opened for you? The mighty, you know, the mighty things. Your answer should always be, let me tell you about the wonderful things God has done for me. <laughs> I got to tell you about how good he's been. And number seven, what is the result of your faith? Are you going to be an heir of righteousness? Okay. Are you? Your righteousness is not going to come from you being self-righteous. Your righteousness will come from you turning your heart toward God, seeking to walk with him and not for him to walk with you or for others to get to take up your cross, but that you would bear the cross of Christ. Will the result of your of your faith point you in toward righteousness? I tell, I'll tell you, I, if I had to tell you every time we do a podcast, I say this scripture every morning, Lord, would you make um, peace my governor and righteousness my ruler? Point my heart toward you. <laughs> I'm pointing my heart toward you. Now, God, you do the rest. If we can do those things, we can start, we can start expecting miracles. Now, I know that we're doing Bible study. And for study, often we just want the facts. But here is the facts. When we start studying this word, there are biblical principles for us to apply to our daily walk, okay? There, <laughs> there are principles for us to apply to our daily walk, okay? Now, I'm going to dig into verses 13 and 14, but I will probably touch on them ne ne uh, next time. The only reason I plan on digging into verses 13 and 14, because 14 brings out a truth that is crazy to me. Absolutely crazy. <laughs> it is crazy to me. Uh, but it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's wonderful, I think. I think it's, it's so relevant, and I think it's so beautiful that God would, would give us such such a... Uh, uh, it make it just it's just so relevant. Okay. Verse 13, and God said to Noah, the, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And he makes here's he, he in verse 14, he makes his command. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. 
Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Okay. Now, usually when you see this word pitch, pitch is usually a coverment, a covering. All throughout the Bible, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's mentioned 40 other times. The word that is used is usually translated into cover. And then they use pitch. And pitch is usually when you like, it's like, you know, usually a construction term. Now, lucky for you, I have a degree in construction. <laughs> and and the thing about pitch, pitch is usually like a, it's a strong, like it, it makes it, it makes the, 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 the strength of what we are of what we have stronger or whatever. But here, here's the beauty of what we have. Okay. The cover it inside and outside with pitch. Um, and when, when, (laughs) when he did that, this word pitch, the word that they used is actually translated to atonement. Okay. Now (laughs) what I love, you remember grace was extended for the very first time to Noah in verse eight. And then he says, make the ark and cover it with pitch. But the word means atonement. And so pitch is a covering, but you know, this word we're using has a dupe, a duplicity of meaning, meaning atonement. So make this ark as a mechanism of atonement. I'm about to atone for this mess. Now that's like a prophecy to what's going to happen years and years and years later. Okay. And you get, I'm sure you can hear it. I'm excited. I threw the pen across the room and I'm sure you'll be able to hear that, but, <laughs> but uh, wonderful things begin to happen. Why do wonderful things begin to happen? Wonderful things begin to happen because God as angry and disgusted and frustrated as he is with people, yet he continues to create a way for redemption. He continues to create a way for atonement. He continues to make a way for you to make your way back to me. He off, he offered Later we'll see he offered to allow other people than Noah's family to get on the boat if they would accept his hand. That's also prophecy to how you come to Christ. He doesn't just automatically cover you, but he says, my hands are open wide. If you receive me, I'll have you. And so we see this, this idea. It's And it's going to repeat itself throughout the word over and over and over again. It doesn't matter how disgusted and how messed up and how frustrated he is with us. He still opens hope and allows us to be able to come right back to him because we are his and he is ours and he loves us and he loves us just that much that he's going to provide an opportunity for redemption for us and I think that is just so beautiful absolutely absolutely wonderful now um we're going to come like I said we're going to come back and we're going to explore uh 13 and 14 I think you know but we're getting into some really good stuff and and I, I believe that all the word is good and I, when I sat out to do the study for today, I said, well, I think we'll just go ahead and cover six through nine. And then as I got down to study, I said, we're going to make it 14 verses if we make it that far. So hopefully it won't take us too long to get through Noah and the heart. But I do want you to see the beautiful riches that are the word of God and how many marvelous things God has done and outlined and allowed for us to have right here. Uh, because he, lo- he really, really, really loves us. Um, and I'm not really entirely sure why, but it does. And this is something worth getting excited about. And God is just that good. He's just that merciful. And he's just that kind. So like, as always, if you have any questions, go ahead and send your questions over to the contact section of uh, ReverendKojo.com. Uh, there's a whole button there. You can go fill out a form, put your comments, your questions there. 
Um, or you can comment on this uh, post on ReverendKojo.com. Now, you can't do this in the App Store. Now, you can leave me a review. That'd be great. Five stars. Please, 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 please. Um, but if you if you can leave a comment on the post on ReverendKojo.com um, of any questions you have or any discrepancies you want to discuss, and we'll talk about them on the next time, you can do that. Or, um, yeah, fill out the comment section, the uh, contact page, and I'll be sure to get to you. And, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hash this thing out. The word is getting good. It's getting good. It's getting good. Now, don't forget to be like the church in Acts. Search the word down daily. You can trust what I say, but I want you to go and make sure that you are founded and and, and, it's, and that you, you believe what I believe. And uh, let the Holy Spirit discern for you what you believe in. And, I, and we'll go from there. Y'all be blessed. And until next time, this has been Bible School.